This episode of the Best Seats Podcast is brought to you by, well, you. To learn how you can support the show, go to thebestseats.com slash Patreon. Once there, you'll learn how you can get early access to shows, ad-free listening, the ability to submit questions, comments, concerns, and more. Once again, that's thebestseats.com slash Patreon. But enough of that. On to the show. Welcome, 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 everybody, to the first ever episode 19 of the Best Seats Podcast. I am your host, Croft McCarthy, founder of The Best Seats. Thank you, as always, to Allie Coyle for providing the music for each and every episode. You can find more of her work at AllieCoyleMusic.com, or be sure to check out her family's restaurants, the current restaurant of the year, Fable and Spirit, over in Newport Beach, or Dublin 4, Gastropub and Wine Works for Everyone over in Mission Viejo. Um Super, super, super excited about this interview this week. Um, as always, each and every week on this podcast, bringing you interviews from some of the best folks working hospitality in Southern California and beyond. Obviously, beyond being last week, we had Zach Gearson, formerly of Orange County, now in Florida. Um, and we're definitely going to have some guests that I'm working on booking in the future that are definitely outside of that kind of Southern California landscape. But again, focused on that Southern California hospitality area, stories from all aspects of it. If you've been liking the episode so far, we're almost up at number 20, this being number 19. Be sure to leave comments, reviews, um, anything I can do to improve the show, ratings, support, whatever you do, it helps other people find the podcast, whether you're on iTunes, Spotify, anything like that. But back to this week's guest, we have got George Barker. Uh, for those that may not know that name right off the bat, George is a transplant from London, been here a couple of years now. Uh, cut his teeth running the Hungry Royal, which was a food truck. It operated for, well, you hear in the interview, it operated for a while. I loved it. Um, it was a really underrated food truck. It was kind of like elevated London pub fare. Um, one of the best scotch eggs around, a bunch of different dishes like that. George kind of grew up in the hospitality industry in London and cut his teeth there. When he moved out to California, he could not look back to kind of rainy old England and he decided to stay and he is currently working on opening up Mayfield. Now, Mayfield is going to open at the time of this recording. It hasn't yet. Um, we recorded this couple days, give or take, um, after Governor Newsom obviously shut down all indoor dining in California, restricting everybody to outdoor. Bars were closed again um, as we still are dealing with COVID-19. So there's no kind of hard date for Mayfield to open, but it's set to open in San Juan Capistrano. It's going to be a really, really, really awesome menu. I've had a chance to speak with the chef a little bit on social media. I'm hoping to get him on the show soon. Uh, but a lot of the things that they're playing around with, as you'll hear in the interview, are really kind of sourced from places that inspire George. They're not trying to lock down one type of cuisine. It's really influential. Um, it's kind of the definition of global cuisine, which is a term that gets thrown around a lot, but it, it truly is based on what I've seen. They're also going to be pushing a really big, beautiful bar program, a ton of natural wines, which if you know me at all, is something I'm super supportive of. Um, and all around, just a really, really awesome interview. He's a great guy. It's a restaurant that if you haven't checked it out yet at the end of the episode when he gives out the social media, be sure to do that. Um, it's a gorgeous build out. San Juan is ripe for something like this. And you may not have heard of it because quite frankly, with everything going on, it's kind of a you know, very nice thing of him to do, not hype the restaurant he's about to open because as he told me before the interview, he goes, I was a little hesitant to do this because I quite frankly didn't want to take news away from restaurants that are opening 
and are struggling for business, which is very magnanimous of him um, in a time where everybody's trying to survive and to be opening a restaurant in this time, let alone have to operate one for him to basically be like, we haven't been doing PR because we don't want to take away from other people. It's it kind of lets me know that Mayfield's going to already be pointed in the right direction. So I really hope you enjoyed this interview. This was a fun one to do. Um, again, be sure to leave rating, subscribe, tell your friends, whatever you need to do. Continue to help the podcast grow. And I hope you enjoy this interview with Mayfield Restaurant's owner, George Parker. Hey, Crowfoot. Hey, George. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good, all things considered. Thanks for taking the time. Yeah, no problem. No problem. How are you doing? Uh, yeah, I'm good. I'm spending my day today chasing SoCal gas, trying to get them to turn on our meter. Um, <laughs> so this this is a nice little break from chasing various different departments that they know and won't won't agree that anything's their responsibility. So uh, this is this is nice. <laughs> well, I'm glad you took the time. Obviously, um, for you and I, this is a little bit different because this is actually the second time that we've done this recording uh, for everybody listening. This is going to yeah. sound like the first, uh, but obviously, yeah. so a little background for those that are listening. Um, we did a recording, I want to say end of May, give or take, and then everything kind of broke out uh, between the protests and, you know, then later in the month, there were kind of some spikes and some changes in different areas of states, you know, here, Florida, Texas, all with COVID-19 popping back up. And I kind of, it got to the point where I held on to the interview a little too long and, and you had asked if we could redo it. So I'm very, very yeah. happy that we can redo it, um, especially given a lot of the new information that's out there. Um, so I'm I'm, yeah. great, I'm grateful that you can take a couple minutes from chasing down SoCal gas to to sit down and do this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah. for those that may not know you, can you take a second? And I know it's for me, it's a reintroduction, but would you mind kind of introducing yourself yeah, and then uh, jumping into Mayfield? Yeah. Um, so my name is George Barker. I am the owner of Mayfield Restaurant, which is a restaurant and artisanal market, which will be opening in downtown San Juan Capistrano in hopefully in the next couple of weeks. Uh, so at the time that we're recording this, this is July 2nd. Obviously, yesterday, Governor Newsom came out and put everybody essentially in the hospitality industry, especially into not a full-on stay-at-home order, but a shutdown kind of 2.0. No indoor dining. All bars are completely shut. Um, as somebody yeah. who was already building a restaurant during the first kind of official stay-at-home shutdown, what was that experience like for you? And then what's it like now knowing that there's another at the time of this three weeks of no indoor dining at all? Yeah, I think we were extremely fortunate compared to most restaurants in our position because we were in construction rather than uh, having to go through the kind of emotional and financial turmoil of letting staff go, uh, losing inventory, not knowing what to do. We, we kind of just were like, can, can we keep going with construction? Yes, we're allowed to. Okay, well, we kept going. And I'd say we probably had about five or six weeks of delays just from you know, having to do inspections via video calls and that, that could take a week to arrange and then they wouldn't approve us but or Things wouldn't get shipped in time uh, because of delays. But in general, the first lockdown for us has been, uh, we, we can't complain. Um, out of the, the millions of restaurants, we're, we're one of the fortunate ones in that respect. Um, now this is a little bit different because we are now, we've got our health inspection on Tuesday. Um, so if that all gets approved, we were looking at opening within the next kind of week or so. Um, that now has been pushed back, uh, obviously. Um, 
and now it's kind of we're in this weird limbo of trying to hire people but we don't know how long like i, I don't want to offer false hope to people and say well yeah you've got a job we're going to start you today and then we can't um but we kind of our, our original plan anyway was to to do a very very scaled down operation um and it was we were calling it a supper club which was effectively uh reservation only we have 105 seats and we were only going to sit 50 people a night so like a third, uh, no, it's a sixth of what we were planning on doing on a on a general night, um, and yeah, it was reservation only that, and then it was kind of a set set meal, which was kind of based around family style sharing plates. Um, so we're we're not going to be doing that, um, and we'll we'll just hold off. We might, as I mentioned, we we've, we've got a, a marketplace, and the market really we designed. Um, way before when, when we're in the planning stage and it was really to uh to offer some of the the bits that we make in-house we're making everything from scratch um and it was a, a way to offer those bits uh to a customer so that they could actually take them home uh, I, I forgot to mention we have a lot of the flavors that we're we're drawing from are coming from the levant region um and southern europe um so uh it's a lot of things like harissa and tahini and sugar and um, preserved lemons, things that aren't necessarily a staple uh, pantry item. So we wanted people to be able to take them home, buy a cookbook, um, and kind of start experimenting them and, and putting them into their own cooking if they, they're not used to it. Or there might be some someone like me who loves those flavors and wants to source really nice, good products because that's something I've always struggled with since moving here. Um, so we'll, we'll look to probably start the market and we'll expand that. Um, and we'll be doing some takeout stuff that we've, we'll, we'll be obviously putting the supper club on, on the back burner for now. So before we keep kind of diving into the menu uh, and Mayfield as a whole, because I want to talk about your chef and the natural wines and even just the design of the restaurant, what's your yeah. background in hospitality? Because you were running, not a restaurant per se, but you did have a food operation before this, uh, one that I was a big fan of. So would you uh, just kind of mind giving your background in hospitality yeah. kind of when you transplanted to the States and kind of what you were up to before Mayfield? Yeah, so I, I grew up in a family that owned restaurants. Um, I was five when I think my parents opened their first restaurant. So I was there. They didn't have people looking after me at, at home. So I'd been in the restaurant, folding napkins, polishing cutlery, that kind of stuff. Um, and then as, as I grew older, I started carrying plates and then taking orders and then I think by the time I was about 11, I was working the coffee machine um, and they'd opened a cafe by then. Um, so I worked through their business until uh, I was 16 and legally allowed to get a job with a, a, another company. And then I worked in various different gastro pubs, um, kind of manor houses, different different places in the UK, uh, both front, front of house and back of house. Um, and then I decided I needed to go get a degree and get an office job. So I went and studied real estate for three years at university, then worked for uh, a corporate firm called Cushman Wakefield. I think they're big out here, but I worked in the corporate finance department there. Um, uh, and then going from that, I was coming over to visit my brother who'd moved to Laguna Beach in, in Orange County. And once you come here once, and then you've, you've got to head back to rainy old London in January, and go back to your office desk, you're kind of ruined. So from that point on, I was plotting how I could get over here. And it was always my intention to kind of get 
back into the restaurant world, but I thought it'd be when I was a bit older um, and saved up some money. But I, I saw the food trucks um, and saw it as an opportunity to get a visa and get, get a kind of taste of uh, being my own business owner. So I set up a food truck called The Hungry Royal, and we went to various different breweries. Uh, we went to Fossil Logic a lot. We did a lot of private caterings, weddings, parties. Um, and we did that for about 18 months whilst I was still looking for our first location. Um, and I finally found a place in Laguna. Uh, so I sold the truck because um, I, I kind of realized I had to be all in on one or the other. I can, I, as soon as I tried to take my foot out of it, I just realized that the quality would just drop. So yeah. um, I kind of realized I had to just focus on something. Um, and that deal fell through after nine months of, of negotiations. So then I was no truck, no, no restaurant, and then looking for new spaces. And then this, this space came up and it was, this was about a year and a half ago now, I think. Um, and at the time it was a, it was a small pokey little office, uh, with the entrance on a back alley. Um, so the landlords had grand plans of kind of drilling down and creating this big open, open floor plan with high ceilings and putting big windows in the front. So I've been working with him now for about 18 months, um, through his construction and then ultimately through ours. Um, so yeah, that's, and, and now we're, we're about to open our first restaurant. So that's been fantastic. It's been a quite, quite a journey of, of looking at lots of spaces, lots of disappointment and hopefully it's, uh, it's going to be worth it. Well, it's absolutely never easy to open a restaurant. That's for sure. But obviously kind of having, yeah. having to go through the trials and tribulations and then a, a global pandemic on top of that, not just kind of first shut down once, but twice. I, I can't even imagine what that's been like. Yeah. Um, and we'll talk about the social media and where people can find Mayfield at the uh, kind of the end of the show. But once we do, definitely, if you're listening, please check it out because the group that you're working with to design it is really, really beautiful. It looks like it's going to be a really open space, great colors, tons yeah. of light. It looks like it's going to yeah, be really been- pretty. It was, yeah, it was, um, we've been working with a company called Studio Saint, but, um, originally they were, they started off in Washington and then one of the founders moved to LA. Um, and I spent, I spent months looking for the right architect and interior designer and found, I actually found a quote from the designer. Um, I was kind of reading through and I just really connected with what he was talking about, how, how design should kind of, how it ages and how you should create a space that kind of will age and, and kind of adapt as, as it grows. Um, I was like, oh, that's, that's cool. I'll see where that guy's from. And he said, oh, it's this Washington. I think it was a Washington Post article. And then it said, oh, recently relocated to LA. So I'm like, yeah, that could be fake. So um, we've been working with uh, Michael and his team now for, well, he was there about a year and a half, two years now. Um, and yeah, they've, they've been great. And we've, a lot of things, I'll, I, I'm very heavily involved, but they'll, they'll kind of rein me in. They'll say, They'll tell me mm, that's not quite this restaurant, or it's yeah, it's nice, but not not for this space. <laughs> um, so I I uh, I'm constantly just sending them things like, what about this? What about this? No, like, eh, we're not sure about that. What about this? And um, um sometimes it's hard to trust people because they're like, no, no, I'm I'm sure this will work, and they're like, no, trust us. That's why you're paying us. So I'm like, okay, <laughs> I trust you, and it's uh yeah, it's paying off. I think it's it's going to be a beautiful space. So let's talk about the culinary program. Um, it, we'll talk about your chef in just a second, but what drove you to mm-hmm. these? So the flavors that you're talking about, kind of some of those, you know, North African, just some of those different flavors. I think people see them yeah. occasionally pop up on menus, but you know, it'll just be maybe 
you know, harissa is probably the most common one that people would see on vegetable dishes and things like that. But what drew you to those flavors and where does that passion for those kind of come from? Because you don't see them a lot outside of a side dish or something like that. So to do a whole menu featuring them is something I'm incredibly excited for. And I think that once people really dive into your menu, they're going to really, really love it. But what drew you to them? Yeah. Um, I think, I think it's a couple of things. I, I, I lived before moving here, I lived in London and we've got, um, chef called Ottolenghi that people will know as cookbooks um, but he's he's one of those chefs that pretty much every cook has gone through his kitchen in, in London if you if you want to kind of be respected you've, you've done some time in one of his kitchens and you can't help but be influenced by those kind of flavors so um, even if people are opening restaurants that aren't Middle Eastern they seem to be picking up the techniques or the flavors or the inspirations from going through his kitchen so I was constantly surrounded and when I was working in an office job, I was going out to eat a lot because it was kind of the thing I was most passionate about. Um, and just going to these different places and testing and tasting these dishes. And I, I just grew, grew a real love for it and, and cook with it myself every day. Um, and then traveling through areas like um, uh, Israel and the, uh, the kind of eastern side of, of Europe. Uh, again, it's, it's just so... The food is, is so vibrant and so full of flavor that it's, it's hard to kind of stay away from. Um, so that that was my initial kind of taster. And then I'm, I'm half Greek as well. Um, so I kind of grew up on some of these flavors. Um, and my parents now currently live in South France. So the Mediterranean diet, diet is kind of um, fixed for me in terms of kind of sourcing great produce, using kind of fresh, vibrant flavors. Um, so yeah, I think I think it's kind of a combination of those those things, and then also I just think I I personally love to eat it, and I think more and more people here will. Um, so I think it's a, it's a kind of good business decision as well. Um, but ultimately, it's it's what I want to eat. Well, it doesn't hurt that it lends itself to a healthy lifestyle. I mean, especially kind of that Mediterranean Greek diet with the Israeli influences and things like that. They all yeah. pair very well to kind of, especially the Southern California climate. And I think that once the exactly. clientele so, gets on board, they're going to be all about it. Yeah, so our, our our food is is kind of rooted in Californian cuisine, I'd say, in terms of our our focus is on sourcing great produce. Um, whether it's we're locating, we're we're working with our local farm in San Juan Castrano, it's called the Ecology Center, or other local farms. Um, so we're we're sourcing great produce, and then we're just drawing the inspiration from the flavors that we love. And creating dishes that are kind of more familiar to people. Um, so we're not trying to be an authentic representation of of one specific country and their, their food. And that's why I kind of I call it inspired by the Levant and the Southern European area mm-hmm. because I really don't want to pinpoint this out. So many restaurants now say we're we're an Israeli restaurant, and it or they say oh we're a, a Lebanese restaurant, and and for us to that I, I think would be wrong because we're not we're not making authentic representations of of those dishes. We're drawing on inspiration from the kind of the places I've travelled and the flavours I've loved and the the restaurants that our chef has worked in and and kind of creating something kind of unique to us rather than a, a direct representation that might have been passed through uh, from kind of grandmother to grandmother. So um. But yeah, the the 
I think if anyone walked in and they didn't necessarily know, they would think that we're kind of a, a Californian American restaurant that kind of focuses on vegetable forward dishes. Um, but if you kind of dig down and you, you understand a little bit more about the flavors and where they're coming from, you'll, you'll kind of recognize a lot of them. So let's talk about your chef because, um, again, like I said, this is technically our second interview, but obviously first episode featuring you. Uh, after we interviewed the first time, I connected with your chef through social media. We've been kind of chatting since and just kind of oh, like cool. explaining small, like just exchanging small messages and things like that, watching some of the test dishes that you guys have been working on. Um, but he's yeah. a heck of a guy and he's got a really, really solid resume. Can you talk about your chef a little bit and kind of how you guys connected? Yeah, I, I think I met him uh, about a year, year and a half ago when he was working uh, in other kitchens. I used to, he was the head chef of a restaurant called, I, I always butcher the pronunciation, but I think it's called Mize, up in, um, or Mize, up in, up in Silver Lake, uh, which is this tiny little place that pumps out hundreds of covers a night um, out of uh, this oven called a Josper, Josper Grill. And he was the head chef there and my brother lives in that area. So I, I used to go out there and eat a lot there um, and kind of start seeing his food there. And then um, I saw that he'd moved down to Orange County and we were, we'd just been chatting for, for a while. Uh, and then I, I was starting to look for a job and I think he just left his last place of work, which was Arbor in Laguna Beach, um, and just said, look, I'm, I'm kind of open, I'm looking for, for work. And um, so it's okay, let's, let's have a chat. and. We we met up and at the time I didn't I didn't want to kind of just jump on I did the easy option of someone going to me so I interviewed a bunch of different people and then sat on it and kind of realised he he was the right person um, from the start um, and our, our visions are very aligned he's he's experienced in the kind of food that we uh, we want to do um, he's very focused on kind of drawing the best from the from uh, drawing, drawing as much flavor from vegetables and the the local produce that we can source. Um, so we're we're very aligned on that respect. And yeah, he's he's uh, he's worked his ass off, so he deserves a, an opportunity to kind of open open what is a, a reasonably big restaurant and kind of have have his name on the menu. He's someone that I want to get on an episode, um, ideally kind of after the restaurant has opened and he's kind of had a chance yeah. to settle in, settle into the role to see how things are going. But it just kind of, and yeah. I don't want, I don't want to speak for him on the dishes, but as far as the shutdown goes, what's that been like as far as menu development? Has that actually been beneficial? Has it given you kind of time to work out, you know, so, um, again, everybody puts a menu together and they're well, like, it was big, but has it been beneficial for you guys to kind of be able to hammer out those details and kinks a little bit? Yeah. Well, the the tricky thing is we haven't really been able to see each other. So from pretty much the day I hired him, we we didn't see each other for two two and a half three months, yeah. and we just had to communicate through video chat and and text. And for me, this was the first restaurant I'd opened, so I was like, okay, well this this kind of feels normal. I don't know. Um, but he was like, this this is mad. How how are we opening up a restaurant going through all this without? being able to sit down and actually taste things together. So really, I think, well, luckily there's, there wasn't that much um, kind of, his vision is my vision and it, there's not that much like of us trying to draw out things from each other mm-hmm. um, because we're, we're very aligned on what we want to do. Um, so that, we didn't have that process, but we've, we kind of trade ideas. We have a, an Evernote document of about 100 different dishes where we both write down ideas. Um, 
and then he'll go and test them. And then we we've now started doing testing days, and all all this week we've we've now hired our two chefs as well, so they're they're busy testing every day. Um, and we've they're they're both coming over tomorrow to test some more of the dishes um, and do some wine tasting with it. Um, so uh, yeah, it, it's been challenging, and and especially the first couple of months where you know, we're both desperate to get in the kitchen and do stuff together. And but um, you know. We, Health, health comes first, and if that meant that we were going to be an extra week delayed because when tested the dishes by that point, then so be it. But luckily, they've uh, we've been able to kind of get cracking on it now, and and we have a pretty clear vision of what we're what we're trying to do. Good, good. That's glad. I can't imagine how difficult that must be having to actually maintain that health and do everything over video when opening a restaurant. As ambitious as it already yeah. is, again, it's, it, well, whatever restaurant you open after this should be a breeze. So that's <laughs> yeah. My my girlfriend keeps she kept on saying like, "Why do you guys you talk for hours? What are you talking about?" I'm like, "Well, we're, we're trying to open a restaurant. There's there's quite a lot to go through." <laughs> so uh, yeah, but it's it's a lot easier now. We've we've kind of we uh, I think we're both very very cautious on on um, you know wearing our masks and keeping distance. So. Um, he, he comes over, I sanitize everything. We kind of wear our masks as we cook and then we go outside tasting and then we'll clear up and then sanitize again. Um, and I, I know that he's very um, kind of responsible on, on, on making sure he's not putting himself in danger. Um, and I'm, I'm the same, so I kind of trust that he's, he's, uh, he's trying to keep as healthy as possible. Obviously, one of the biggest struggles uh, for the restaurant industry right now is the, you know, current announcement of no dine-in. It's only outdoor dining. Uh, does Mayfield have any outdoor space that can be utilized? So, if you we, were to we, be able to open, you could do it. Yeah, yeah. So we we've got we've got about I think 30, 30 seats outside, um, but that's that thirty normal seats. So with giving people distance and stuff, I think we'd probably max probably put like twelve out there. Um, but, um, it's, our space is unusual because we've got these two huge, uh, uh, operable windows that open up, um, they're 10 foot by 12 foot. So we've got those that can open up and then at the back of the space, we've got a 20 foot sliding door. So effectively you could, could argue that it's, it's, it's a, an outdoor space with a roof over the top. Mm-hmm. However, health is, health isn't going to agree with that. Um, and to be honest, I, I, I wouldn't even try it. Um, but uh, so I don't think at this stage, I don't think we would open with just the outside area. Um, but we've, we've got the market and we're, we're looking at doing um, to-go food and to-go meals. And uh, we're, we're doing these kind of veg- vegetable platters. Um, so you can come and kind of pick. Uh, you can One day you could get some roasted butternut squash with a mint and pomegranate pesto or you could get the next day uh, charred broccolini with garlic and ginger um, or whatever it is these, these different kind of salads that you can just build build a kind of platter on and take them home and then you've got that and then we'll do some kind of whole roasted meat um, that if, if you want to take a, a chicken or a porchetta or whatever it is home um, so the idea was just offering something which is a little bit healthier than your, your standard takeaway, um, yeah. but it's still restaurant quality food and you don't have that guilt and it's kind of packed full of flavor and, and easy to, to eat. What, what I don't want to do is offer bad takeout, which ends up 
damaging our reputation. And we, you only get one shot at opening. And if you give someone a bad takeout and that's their first experience of you, they're, they're never coming in. So uh, I'm, I'm very cognizant of, of avoiding that situation. Well, I like the idea of the marketplace. Uh, one of the first episodes that I did was uh, with Rob Wilson, who owns Glass Bar down at Dana Point, and I know that they've been doing a fish market. He's basically turning his raw bar into a seafood market, um, and that's going to resume now again that he's lost his indoor dining and he has patio cool. space. But I think a market is a great way to do it and at least offset a little bit of the cost. Um, and it's a nice kind of soft introduction yeah. for people to your food styles and things like that, which is exciting. I want to pivot and talk yeah, about your bar tricky. program. Oh no! Oh, please yeah. finish. No, yeah. no, please. It, it is. Well, tricky. It's not easy. I was. I was just thinking. So, if from some people say, "Well, you just scale down. You just have what what you've got in the patios. Like, that's your space, and you just as if you're a smaller restaurant." But if you're thinking, then you need someone out front to you know, check people in, or explain things, or say, "Can you wear your mask?" or take temperature, or whatever it is. That's one person. You probably need a barman. You then talking about kitchen staff, dishwash. Pretty soon, like you're you're building up quite a rack of labor costs already. So, it, um, unfortunately, even even if you have five tables and you think you could do it with just one chef and one one server, there's those other pieces that just add to the labor and just make it unable to to open unless you can get those the amount of tables coming through. Well, and also for a new, re- I mean, any restaurant in general, let's be honest, Yelp doesn't really help anybody, but a new restaurant, you're trying to make a lasting impression with a community that you're brand new to. So God forbid you do run a skeleton crew and you give a bad experience all of a sudden now, you know, while you have fed people and you're able to pay your staff, maybe you could have hurt your brand image. So there's yeah. absolutely no easy way to do it. Um, and it's a yeah. daunting task that I, that I wouldn't wish upon anybody in these times. So I can't even imagine the the back and forth of like, well, do we open? Do we not? How do we do it? How do we? Not? And I think that those costs are lost on a lot of kind of uh, common diners who just jump out from time to time. They don't realize how many people are getting paid for this. Uh, but one thing with your yeah. market that I do want to talk about is your bar because I'm very excited about your bar program. Now, is the bar going to be full? Is it a full liquor license or is it just beer and wine? Uh, full liquor. Yeah, we've we got it all secured, so that's that's good. We uh, we have a someone coming out. I think on Monday to kind of verify the area but um it should all be good so yeah we've got full full liquor license we'll be doing um well i think my preference is always to run um not too many items and make them really good rather than trying to do too much and doing an average job of everything so we'll we'll have 10 to 15 cocktails specialty cocktails um and then if if you just want a classic old-fashioned or negroni or, or something um, you just order that. That doesn't need to be on a menu. Uh, so we've got a beautiful bar, kind of wraps around the whole front of the, the space. Um, and then uh, we also are pretty focused on our, our wine. So we've uh, we've employed a, a guy uh, called Gino who runs a company called Lucid Selections. Um, and he's he's worked in some of the best restaurants in the world. And he basically just spends his days sourcing sourcing wine. So we can say, I, I need a, a different Pinot Grigio, I need this, I need that. And he'll go and taste 30 of them from the best uh, best vineyards where we're looking. And then we'll say, okay, this, this is the wine for you. He'll send us a bottle, we'll get to try it, taste it, um, and then he'll train us on it. Um, so our, I'm really excited about our wine program. Um, he's, he's doing a, an amazing job so far. It sounds like a really hard job. 
I'm, I'm so sympathetic. Yeah, yeah. Um, his struggles. I was like, wait, how do I do this? <laughs> how do I get into this game? So yeah, he was like, yeah. So I've been testing for you. I've I've drunk about 200 bottles in the last couple of weeks. And he doesn't drink the whole bottle, but he's just taking samples. But even still, what a what a life. Yeah, that's not bad. Well, when it comes to your yeah. wine program, you're doing something um, that I'm personally very passionate about, um, which is you're you're going to be offering natural wines. How do, so yeah. I, obviously natural wines for those listening, there's only a couple of restaurants in the area that do it, but you're talking about basically all natural, it's no pesticides, very low, naturally occurring sulfates. You can go as far as doing dry farming where whatever irrigation the crops get, it's purely natural. You're not forcing water. I mean, there's all kinds of angles that can do it. Natural wine is something that's really kind of gotten a lot of traction. I would say in the last two to three years, um, Marissa Ross, who's the wine editor for Bon Appetit has done a wonderful job really promoting it and kind of promoting smaller winemakers in California, especially we have some unbelievable natural wines. Um, how did you get into that? And why is that kind of a passion for you to have feature those on the menu? I, I think for us, first and foremost, it just aligns with our ethos on, on the food of sourcing great produce and trying to do as little chemically as, as possible to anything that we're, we're putting into people's bodies. Um, and I, I think one thing that people don't, necessarily know about wine is the amount of chemicals and uh, different stuff that people can put in their wine, especially in, in America. Um, I think people are kind of oblivious to that at this stage. Um, so one of the main things for us is, well, don't really, if we're, if we're caring about buying organic and well-farmed produce for, for consuming to eat, well, we also think we should be doing the same for, for our wines and what we, what we drink. Um, so that was that's originally the kind of the reasoning behind it, um, and then for me purely the, the taste. I, I just think uh, when a, a wine is made naturally, it's, it's a little bit more exciting because every bottle has variation in it. Um, there's often just, it feels a little bit more alive. It's more vibrant, more fresh, um, and just goes goes with our food really well. Um, so our, our wine program, uh, which will also be we we've got. I think we've got 30 or 40 bottles on the wine list and then we will have all of those plus more in the wine shop um and it's yeah it's, it's focused really around sourcing from small producers family family-owned vineyards that just are really focused on creating the best product they possibly can and doing it as ethically as possible um and it just so happens that most of those wines that we're talking about are either organic, biodynamic, natural, whatever kind of word you want to put to it. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of our, our thoughts on, on wine. I love it and completely agree with everything that you just said. Um, is there any hesitation or fear? One of the things about natural wines is you're obviously talking about much smaller production. Um, you're not mm -hmm. talking about those big commercial abilities to really crank out cases and cases and cases. Generally speaking, natural wines, therefore, do cost a little bit more based on the kind of exclusivity and, you know, allocation is pretty difficult with something like that. I would imagine yeah. that the prices on the menu, therefore, would be a little bit higher than, you know, something like a Rombauer, which you could just pour like a waterfall. And, you know, San Juan in Southern California, especially, you know, people would lap, lap that up, you know, like a dog to water. Is there any hesitation from a pricing standpoint about potentially like scaring customers who may not be aware of some of those wines or those winemakers? Yeah, there, there definitely is. And we, we've spoken at length about not trying to alienate people um, because I, I think good hospitality is, is trying to offer 
what people want. Um, so if, if people don't want it and we're pushing it down the necks and they don't want it, then 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 that's just bad hospitality on our behalf. Um, so we we are we're we're very focused on trying to create wines that are affordable for the people that you know just just want a nice glass of wine. They they don't really care too much about where it's coming from or mm-hmm. or they you know they they just. I, I want a nice wine. I want to sit in a nice space and, and have dinner. Um, so we are, we're trying to source wines. We want to have pricing kind of at nine, eight, ten dollars a glass for people that are, are, uh, are kind of more, more inclined for that. But our thing is just, uh, well, okay, let's just source the best bottle possible for that product. Um, and, and try and keep it in line with our, our ethos. Um, and luckily, uh, working with Lucid, that's kind of where the real benefits are because that's the, he just scours, scours the globe for those kind of things. Um, and really gets what, what different kind of consumers want to drink. Um, so yeah, I, I feel, I feel like we've got, got a bit of, of everything for everyone, whether it, but we're just kind of sourcing, sourcing better, better stuff. Um, and, and if, if people, uh, if there's just a wine that they, they're just like, I love your food, but I'm just not not big on your wine. We'll we'll have a corkage program, and and there will be it'll be completely open for anyone to bring the wine that they want to drink, um, and and ultimately probably be more affordable for them. Um, and I, I'm kind of open to that because I I understand that some people are just very fixed on a specific wine that they like to drink. Yeah. Well, I'm all for it, so don't change because I like them, and I cannot wait. Cannot wait. There's again, like I said, there's only so many places to pick up natural wines in the area. So some are far away, some are close by, but I am more than happy to have another one close by. Uh, yeah, San Juan as a city has been doing a lot of growth. Obviously, that entire district, uh, the depot was just renovated. I think it was finished about a month ago, right before everything opened. Um, with everything shut down, a lot of those businesses are kind of hurting, but I mean, you're going to be opening up soon. Uh, Daniel Castillo is going to be opening up heritage barbecue soon. Um, who I did an episode with San Juan is really, really booming. It's an interesting city because for those that don't know it drive through downtown San Juan and then go up the Hills of San Juan about two blocks and the socioeconomics are staggering. The house housing prices jump all of a sudden from, you know, four or 500,000 all the way up to a really quick 3 million. Um, yeah. How's it been working with the city? Because the growth has been so astronomical. People who love it or adore it. It's one of my favorite places in Southern California. I have had many a brunch down there and then wandered over to Zoomars to, you know, hang out with the goats for an hour or two. <laughs> What's it, yeah. uh, how's it been working with the city with all kind of the, the pushes and improvements that they've been doing down there? How have they been? They, they, you know what? Cities get bad reps, but actually someone hasn't been too bad. Um, they uh, they they've been pretty good. They were good. Uh, we we started our construction just as they were doing all the road improvements. So we were on Badugo Street, which has had that beautification project. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were doing it side by side with them. Um, and there's just tons of things. They you know pouring concrete. We built a second floor in our kitchen. So there's so much stuff we were having to get through that road whilst they had it shut. And they were they were pretty good about we kind of working with us and getting getting it all sorted um they, they've been good um i, to be honest, I, I can't have any qualms it, some some things are a little bit slow but you just have to get on the phone and kind of push them and put the effort in but um so far so good good that's really really glad 
Uh, you mentioned the Ecology Center sourcing produce down there. Um, again, for people that don't know it, drive by. The Ecology Center does some really, really fantastic work. Uh, they do a lot of outreach stuff with kids and kind of teaching about farming techniques. And it completely makes sense that you would utilize them. Their ethos seems pretty much completely on brand with your belief about food and kind of sustainability and sourcing. How did the relationship with them come about and how have they been to work with during all of this? Well, when, when I didn't have a food truck and I didn't have a restaurant, I had quite a lot of free time in my hands. Um, so I, I used to go and volunteer down there on Wednesdays and it was just kind of, you know, helping with whatever they needed. Um, stuff that like picking, picking fruit, um, moving mulch, whatever it was. And then, uh, started making jams with them, um, and just helping out however I could making, making stuff, staff meals, family meals, whatever it was. Um, so I was just going down there and from a selfish point of view, it was, the, the climate here is so different to the UK that I started seeing strawberries coming through in April. And I thought, what the hell is going on? Like strawberries <laughs> don't come through until August. And then I was like, okay, well, actually there's different seasons or, or no season, whatever you want to, whatever you want to call it. Um, so I, I wanted to learn more about kind of when, when things are in and out of season um, and what the kind of timeline is in the, in California versus how it is in, in the UK. That's awesome. I, I love what they do down there. It is funny talking about the seasonality of things because you do have those moments. You know, I'll go back to see family in New England and you're like, what do you mean that's out of season? Oh, that's right. Yeah. You guys have different seasons. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Are you, yeah. Are or, you, just, are or just a season. Got, yeah, just one. <laughs> yeah. Are you still living in Laguna Beach in South County? I am, yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I used to live in Laguna Niguel and then I've just as I signed the lease on on this on the uh, on the restaurant, I moved further away from it. So uh, that was that was a good move. But uh, I, yeah, I, I love love living in Laguna. Um, we got super lucky with great landlords that gave us affordable rent, which we'd never normally be able to afford. Um, so I'm, I'm enjoying it for all the time I can until I get I get ousted and, and moved on to, to places I can actually afford. <laughs> Is there any rent rent? No, keep going. No, rent doesn't come cheap here. I, no, I know. Every time yeah. I every time I think about moving, I'm like, I'll look at Laguna, and then I open up the page, and I'm like, Yeah, I won't look at Laguna. <laughs> yeah, we we've got such lovely landlords that I think they gave us like a third off off our rent. Um, so we we lucked out big time, but I don't think that is uh going to happen every time. Laguna's uh, a very special place to my heart, and it's been very hard, kind of driving and walking around there, seeing kind of what a hit. Um, this pandemic has put on, you know, there's a lot of smaller places closing up. There's a lot of places that I don't think are going to survive this. Um, do you struggle at all opening up a restaurant when you're kind of going home every day to Laguna, who's hit, been visibly hit pretty hard? How are you keeping kind of optimistic and, and just kind of keeping positive during all this? Yeah. I, yeah. I, th- I think Laguna, sadly, I think it's going to be one of the, the worst hit places because it relies to- on tourism so, so much and effectively, most of those restaurants make money two, two months of the year. Um, and those months they're currently missing. Uh, and then the rest of the year, it's just trying to hold on till that next period of time. Um, and it's, I, I'm, I'm optimistic because I believe in what we're doing and I'm lucky to have the, the support I do, um, from it's my, my investor is my brother. So ultimately it's, it's a family run business. And, um, we, I don't have a bank to, to report to. I don't have 20 different investors. So Good we're both you. very aligned on health. Health comes first. 
um, and then then make sure whatever you do, do it with quality, and and then people will come. Um, so I'm I'm in a very fortunate position in, in that regard that I'm, I'm don't have a bank breathing down. We do have astronomical amounts of debt now due to building out a brand new restaurant, but um, uh, we'll we'll get there. We'll, we'll pay it at some point. Um, but it's it's yeah it's it's tough to see Laguna because it. Um, there was, to be honest, before the pandemic, I think there was five restaurants that shut or, or either rumored to shut or were shut within before mm-hmm. the pandemic started. And, and now I don't think, I, I think only Watermark is, there's Watermark and there was the, the coffee shop, um, in downtown that have closed. I don't think I know any others that have actually closed during it. Um, but once the PPP runs out, I don't know whether that, that situation will change again. Um, I, but yeah, I, I do, I do feel sorry for a lot of those the local businesses down here. Most of them as well are, are small independents. There's very few chain restaurants. You know, someone might have three or four restaurants, but that, that doesn't mean that they're in a better financial state, um, than a guy who owns one restaurant. Yeah. I agree. Well, I'm glad to hear you're keeping positive of it. So I'm, I'm, I'm very excited for Mayfield. I feel like Mayfield has maybe flown under the radar a little bit. Um, the food writing and food media community, especially in Orange County, is very small. It's mm-hmm. pretty much the same, you know, eight to 14 people at pretty much every media event. Um, not that I think that those are going to exist anymore, at least for a long time going forward. Uh, <laughs> but it is interesting to kind of have flown under the radar a little bit. There's only a handful of people that I talk to that are that either kind of know or are excited about it. Is it exciting for you to know that when you do open up, like I think you will, um, it's going to kind of be with a bang and take a bunch of people by surprise. Yeah, that was kind of deliberate. Um, we, we know that we've got a very strong community around us and, um, we know that we will get a lot, a lot of local support because people are, people in the local area are, are kind of excited about any, any new business opening. And we've been kind of getting sent messages of support constantly. Um, so we're we're when we we understand that we'll get a lot of support hopefully from the locals to to start off with, and then we've obviously got to convince them to keep coming back. Um, and what we wanted to do was make sure that we had space for locals, um, and and it wasn't just kind of people coming from all over. We we wanted to give that that opportunity to our local support as well, um, and we also were dealing with kind of. Uh, someone comes trying to get a lot of tourism, so we we kind of were aware that we we get hit with that. So um, yeah, we we anticipate being busy and from from day one, just because we're a new restaurant and there's not that many new restaurants that have, I think, as, as nice a design we have, um, as good a chef as we have, and then it's just our job to to make sure that we deliver and that everyone that comes once wants to keep coming back. And the kind of the, the way we'll be successful is those those people become regulars and come come often. So we we'd love to get PR and support, and I've I've contacted various different people. Haven't heard back from a lot of people, and I don't know whether that's they're on furlough or they're just not interested until we're open. Um, but uh, yeah, I I appreciate your support because uh, it seems you're you're always there for me. So that's, that's nice. <laughs> well, you know. Anybody with natural wine, a chef like that in a beautiful space is going to get my vote of confidence. And plus the hungry rural had a, sc- <laughs> a scotch egg, which was one of my favorite things in the world. So, 
Yeah, um, maybe we'll, we'll pop that up in the market for the time being. <laughs> I'll have to. I'll, I'll have to see Tyro how to make a Scott check. I'm all in. I'm all in. Yeah. George, I don't want to take up too much of your time. I know that you got a gas company to chase down as well as other utilities people to lock down so that hopefully yeah. in three weeks' time you are able to open with flying colors. Um, if people want to follow you, follow the restaurant on social media, reach out, kind of learn more about it, where can they do that? Uh, on Instagram or I think with Mayfield OC. Um, and then if you want to go onto our website, which is www.mayfieldoc.com, you can sign up to the subscription list there. And then we'll be... Uh, the the intention is to kind of put out on there when when we'll be doing the supper club because we're we're going to have very limited amount of reservations, um, so we kind of want to give people the opportunity that have been following and supporting us uh, the first opportunity to, to book tables, um, and then yeah, just just message me whatever you like. Um, I'm happy to kind of share details and what we're planning. Uh, I'm kind of aware that people want to know safety precautions, all that kind of stuff. So we'll, we'll be sharing all that information and more kind of about our construction. We're almost there. We're, I think we're, we're about three or four days from completion on construction. So we're almost there. That's great. That's really great. I can't wait to see the finished product. I'm very excited for it. Cool. All right, well, thank, thank you very much for having me on. It's absolutely my pleasure, man. Take care and I will talk to you soon. Cheers. Thank you. All right, cheers. Cheers, Crawford. Bye. That was owner of Mayfield in San Juan Capistrano, which is opening soon, George Barker. George, thank you so much for the time. Thank all of you for the time for listening. Again, almost 20 episodes in already. And a big one for number 20 coming up, Benjamin Martinek of Montage. Uh, we are going to be talking about a ton of different things with him. I'm super excited about that one. Really big time chef to nail down for episode number 20. But thank you so much to George for the time for episode 19. I hope you enjoyed it. Mayfield, like I said, is a restaurant I'm really, really looking forward to. Um, It's going to be really, really beautiful. The menu already looks fantastic. He's a very passionate guy, as I'm sure you heard in the interview. He's a very honest guy. Um, Again, we recorded that just a couple of days, maybe even just a day after. I don't remember. You'll hear in the interview right after this lockdown, um, the re-lockdown part two. Hopefully there's no part three, depending on when you hear this. Um, I hope you're listening to this sometime in the future. And we're back to dining in and we're back to everything being a little not normal, but whatever the hell the future is, we'll figure out a term for it. So, but again, as a reminder, you could have heard this episode a little bit early. If you subscribe over on patreon.com slash the best seats, if you didn't, that's totally cool too. I hope you enjoyed. I will see you on the next episode very, very soon. Take care. The best seats podcast is an original production of the best seats. It is written, edited, produced, and owned by myself, Crawford McCarthy, founder and owner of The Best Seats. It is recorded in Aliso Viejo, California. It is subsidized through generous donations through patreon.com slash the best seats. The following are names that have subscribed at the highest tier, aka norm status, and thus allow me to produce the show each and every episode. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Here are the supporters. Katie Cassie. Eric Lutz, Serena Warino, Talia Samuels, Cheryl McCarthy. Thank you for your support.